electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. This make or break hour begins with the countdown to NVIDIA earnings less than an hour away now. The stock up more than 100% year to date, which means there is so much riding on those results for those shares and arguably for the tech trade overall. Here's your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation. The debt ceiling dual wing on the markets for most of the day. The speaker says the two sides are still far apart on spending cuts, though he does remain hopeful of getting an agreement, says the country will not default on its debt. All three of the majors trading lower, as you see. Their yields rising again today, and that is proving to be a considerable headwind on stocks as well. It leads us to our talk of the tape. NVIDIA's moment and whether it will live up to the hype. Let's ask our panel of experts, Stacey Rascon, one of Wall Street's top chip analysts, Bryn Talkington of Requisite Capital. She owns the stock. And Malcolm Etheridge of CIC Wealth. It's great to have everybody with us. All right, Bryn, you got this stock. You've done incredibly well. It's up more than 100% right into the print. What are you thinking about today? So it's pretty incredible. NVIDIA IPO'd in 1999. And actually, I went back and looked. It has had eight years, Scott, where it actually had a return of over 100%. So while this year seems very rare for a stock to be up 100%, actually in the history of NVIDIA, it's not that rare, which is so phenomenal. And it shows you what a powerhouse this stock has been, been able to evolve, evolve over the last 20 years. I think it's going to come down to, obviously, Jensen Wong is a master salesman, but he's got the goods to back it up. I think we want to hear about these H100 chips, which are really used for these large language models, which we're all getting to experience. You really want them just to hit that ball out over the over the fence and really have tremendous demand. So I want to hear about that, especially. I think so do a lot of investors. All right, Stacey, are the goods, to use Bryn's term, are the goods going to be good enough to justify this incredible move we've had in the stock? By the way, you have an outperform. Your price target's 300 bucks. We are there. It, it's there. It, it's run a lot. And so we'll see how things go tonight. Um, look, I can't imagine that they're going to say anything that's going to kill the narrative. Right? It's, it's very clear that AI, finally, even for the, for the, for the person on the street, is a, is a real thing. They're actually able to reach out and touch it. They've got tons of demand, clearly more than they can supply at this point for these, these, these data center chips, these H100s and everything else. Um, and like I said, I can't imagine that anything that they will say will, will kill the narrative. Nobody's going to come out of this call thinking that demand is less than they thought it was going into this call. I do think expectations clearly are, are high. I mean, again, the stock is up a lot like, year to date, and it's up a, a ton year over year. Um, at the same time, though, I, I, I think the uh, how did you put it? Jensen's got the goods. I think Jensen probably does have the goods. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you what do you do though, Stace? What do you what do you do um, with the stock as an analyst here? You know, it was it was six weeks ago where you you just raised the price target. Are you are you tempted to move it to a, a neutral because of the run? Do you think it's justified and has more? I mean, how do you look at it as one of the top rated analysts on Wall Street? Look, I, I always say um, 
expensive all by itself is never a reason to sell at a tech stock. Just like cheap all by itself is never a reason to buy it. There's got to be a catalyst one way or the other. I think you can identify a ton of catalysts here. I mean, yeah, yes, it's expensive. It's always expensive. You know, the, the day I launched on it, which was years ago, it was 50 times earnings. And it was not expensive. It was incredibly cheap because in the price to forward earnings, the E, the denominator was wrong. <laughs> Right, um, the E was actually a lot bigger over time than than people were thinking. I think that's what you need to believe to buy it here. But I think anybody that's owning it here is of the belief that that E is wrong. Is is that it's not as expensive as it looks, because it can still grow and ideally it can grow and, and drive earnings power more than what people are thinking right now. I still think that's a very plausible story for these guys. I, I guess E equals AI, <laughs> so to speak. If you want to just stay in the <laughs> alphabet. Maybe. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm. You don't own NVIDIA. I don't, but I want to. And and I, I think that uh, the point that you just made about all of the analyst price targets was a good one because the, the average price target is about $299 and change right here. And we're literally right there today. So either we're going to get a bunch of re-ratings here and folks are going to have to increase those price targets once again, one after another uh, following earnings, or we're going to see a lot of downgrades to neutral. And since I seriously doubt many analysts are going to be willing to stick their necks out and go against the grain and, and, and drop those uh, uh, calls down to neutral, uh, I'd imagine those price target in increases we're bound to get are going to also lift the stock a little bit near term, uh, even if we get the, the slide in share price today that I, as a wannabe investor, am hoping for. Yeah, but that's so funny. I mean, I saw the notes that you gave to our producing team, and you said that if it falls below 290, you'd buy it. I mean, over 10 bucks, really? So, I don't mean I'm going to go buy the entire position that I intend to own in, this, in the name, right? Let me let me be clear there. But I definitely think a 10% slide in the name is enough to make it interesting because I think that we're having one of those moments we saw in 2019, the back part of 2019 with uh, Tesla, where uh, Elon Musk was trolling uh, analysts left and right, all the short sellers left and right, because every time you know someone would make a call that this is the moment when Tesla's got to fall, it would find a reason to go up again. And I think that's the same thing that we're seeing with NVIDIA right now. Yes, it could be overbought, but they keep finding a reason to go up again and again in share price. And so I think it's a case where maybe you average down, right? So each time we get a significant pullback in the market, 10% or more is a good time to be going in and buying a few more shares and adding to your position so that that way, if it does continue to go up and to the right the same way it has this year, you get to participate in it, but you're also not in danger of getting whacked over the head because you jumped in with both feet and bought your entire position at what turned out to be the height. Yeah. Hey, Stace, um, Intel, AMD, um, data center slowing somewhat for them. Does NVIDIA buck that trend? Are they able to do it? Do they do they just see slowing, you know, not to the degree that the others are? How, how do you assess that as you as you look at what must be an absolutely critical metric today? Yeah, no. So enterprise spending in, in data center has been weak. Cloud spending in general started to roll over, and it's impacting both Intel and AMD, their data centers, their data center revenues. Um, I do think, though, that spending is being prioritized on, on artificial intelligence, on, on AI. And so while they're not spending as much on servers and, and other infrastructure that they, maybe they bought a little too much of over the last year or so, um, it does look like that spending on AI is happening. And, and clearly, there's not enough. There's been all kinds of stories 
about even some of these big cloud companies who have to ration internally their use of GPUs, they just don't have enough. Um, so I do think spending is happening there. My, my biggest thing I'm wondering is, you know, if, if NVIDIA's got upside and they need to deliver it, it takes time to get the wafers, right? There's a, there's a lead time. And so, you know, that's something that may gate their ability potentially to show near-term upside. And if that's the case, they've got to talk up the back half. Um, but there's a real story, I think, to talk up the back half if that's what it takes. Like I said, I can't imagine they're going to say anything right now that's going to make people feel worse about the, the current narrative. No, well, of course. Uh, you know, they're going to talk about AI as, as much as you possibly can and, and for good reason. But, but Stacey, I, I joked about, you know, E equals AI. Um, what kind of upside do you, do you really see in the numbers as it relates to where artificial intelligence is now for the company and where we think the total addressable market for it could really be? I, th I think we're early. And so, so look, like Jensen loves to get up on stage and throw out big numbers, and that's fine. And they threw out, I think it was a trillion dollar TAM for the whole company. And for data center silicon and, and hardware, I think their number was 300 billion. And it seemed kind of crazy. Although I'd say it seems a little less and less crazy every day. But if it's if it's 300 billion or 200 or even 100 billion, which I have no problem believing, NVIDIA is running their business today at $15 billion a year, give or take. There, there's a ton of headroom in, in, in front of us. I think we're very early on, on this. So it'll have its ups and downs. It's volatile. We had a 60% drawdown recently, although that was mostly crypto-driven, fine. But it'll have its ups and downs over the years. But I mean, this this type of a secular trend, it, we're just at the start of this. ChatGPD has only been around since November. Like, you know, Bryn, it's amazing. Uh, you know, to hear you talk like that and, and Bryn, I've had some people on the show recently, whether it's halftime or here, you know, suggesting you got to have portfolio management. You got to take some profits. The stocks run so much. The size of the positions now too big, whatever the excuse is for for suggesting that you've, you've got to trim a little bit here. Stacy paints almost an opposite picture that if you do, you run the risk of missing out in in some sort of tremendous upside that the market shockingly is still arguably underappreciating. I think more investors are like Malcolm, that if they don't own the name, it has a very sh small short position, by the way, if they don't own the name, if you happen to get a pullback or if the debt ceiling, what have you, I think there's a lot of people that are underowned in NVIDIA and will be adding to it. And so I do think we're just scratching the surface because we can all see what AI is doing. And so I think this stock will continue to get a bid. And like Stacy said, it's been volatile. But once again, it's had over eight years where it's had 100% return. And it seems like this new vertical with AI is just now gaining steam. And so if their revenues are growing, their earnings are growing to back up that E, then I think people are going to continue to want to buy this stock. And I do think it's underowned by the by the broad investor. Yeah. Malcolm, I mean, what do you think is really riding on these results for for tech overall? It's just not it's not just an NVIDIA story. It's the handful of mega cap stocks that have really led the way this year. Is a lot riding? Is everything riding on, on what NVIDIA does today? So I actually don't think everything is riding on what NVIDIA does today. Uh, I, like most people, have been calling for tech to start to get sold off probably the last six weeks because I thought 
you know, it can't continue this run. It just doesn't make sense that it uh, continues to lead everything else. And we have the same five to 10 names that are leading the charge all throughout the year. But what I started to look at was the fact that the majority of the momentum we were seeing was coming in from retail investors owning only eight or nine different names uh, wholeheartedly. And a lot of the institutional money was still sitting in cash. And so that's what's ultimately following behind these names that are pushing up the tech trade now. And we saw the same thing happening in 2020, where the quote unquote smart money was saying, we need to be out of this market. We don't know what's going to happen with COVID. And you had retail investors who were willing to step in and buy up a lot of the high flyers. And then ultimately institutional money had to follow. That's kind of what we're seeing happen right now. And I think that's what gives us the momentum behind a name like an NVIDIA and anybody else who could continue to bid up this market in ways that don't make sense uh, based on traditional metrics and, and giving technicians a headache. Bryn, how would you assess the same question of, of, of what might be really riding on this, just given where the market is, given what tech has done, um, and how you think it's, it's vulnerable here or not? I think, I think, I mean, the majority of the returns for tech came in that first six weeks of the year. Right, that's where if you if you were out of tech in January in the first couple of weeks of February, you really missed the majority of that return. I still I still think that the majority of returns for tech have already been had, and so that's why I really like covered calls. I think though, Jensen's speech and his earnings call, it's going to be packed. He is going to validate AI, and so I think he's going to give it more juice. And I don't think there's any risk here that he says something that derails any type of AI rally. But in general, I think these these big stocks, Apple, Microsoft, seem a bit tired in hitting that upward resistance. Stacy, what about the chips themselves? Are they tired too? SMH is up, well, I don't know, 30% year to date or, or close to that number. Yeah, yeah. So the chips in general, I mean, not such a good day today. ADI reported this morning it wasn't so hot. Um, but chips in general have had a good year. Um, people tend to buy the cuts. You want to buy it when earnings are bottoming. And estimates started coming in in June, and they're down 30%, 35% from that peak. It's the biggest negative revision since the financial crisis, so people have broadly been buying that. Now, at the same time, you know, you, it, it's starting to get in there. You look into the back half numbers broadly or above seasonal, um, and inventories, if you look out in the channel and on balance sheet, they're really, really high. And the sector itself did a pretty sharp premium to the, to the S&P. It's like at a 30% premium, or was, which is one of the biggest premiums we've seen since things normalized from the financial crisis. And so... You know, I was in people looking for that back half, like recovery, like we, we better get it. Like it's starting to get a little, although it is, you know, it is really different market by market. Some of the, the really out of favor markets, PCs and smartphones, and they're farther along on that cycle, right? And you can make the case that that could look better in the back half. Other markets like industrial and auto, they either haven't rolled or they're just starting to roll. So it's sort of an asynchronous kind of progression as we go through the different end markets. But in general, yeah, I think expectations for the group are pretty high. Malcolm, leave me with a thought on Amazon. We've got a shareholder meeting going on today, don't we? Yeah, the big thing to me, I'm sure Amazon will want to focus most of their attention on is how much they've improved their delivery network and cut costs and how they've integrated AI into their different business lines. But I, as a shareholder, the thing I'm most interested in hearing about is what their expectations are for their ad sales business going forward, right? You've got uh, uh, Google, who owns about 29% of that market, Facebook Meta, that owns about 11% of that market, and then Amazon is quietly coming as a third place uh, participant in the global ad sales market. And that's a company who, that isn't their number one or number two business line. And so I'll be really interested to hear if Andy Jassy tells us any in, anything interesting about about how they intend to push forward and take away more market share in that arena.
All right. Great conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. We'll talk to all of you soon. Stacey Raskin, Malcolm Etheridge, Bryn Talkington. We'll see you in just a little bit. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We asked, does NVIDIA still have room to run? You can head to at CNBC closing bell on Twitter to vote. We share those results with you a little later on in the hour. Let's get in the meantime a check on some top stocks to watch as we head towards the close. Christina Partzinevelos is here as always with that. Christina. Let's start with shares of Intuit moving to the downside after issuing quarterly results. While its Q3 earnings came in above what the street was looking for, it reported a revenue miss. The tax software company's earnings outlook for the current quarter also missed analyst expectations, and that's why the stock is down 7.5%. Shares of retailer Petco are plunging right now, about 14% after surprising investors with a Q1 loss. Management says consumers are more cautious after the banking uncertainty in March and lower tax refunds, and that's why they saw a slowdown in supply and companion animal business. Despite the earnings miss, though, Petco maintained its full-year outlook. Shares are down 18.5%. Scott? Yeah. Yikes. All right, Christina, thank you. We'll see you in just a bit. We're just getting started here on Closing Bell. Up next, the near-term triple threat to stocks. BNY Mellon's Alicia Levine is here. She gives her strategy as she braces for even more market volatility. And later, the one area of the market that is trading at its biggest discount in more than two decades. We'll reveal that sector and some of the names investors need to be watching. We're live in the New York Stock Exchange. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. The latest Fed minutes showing a growing divide among committee members over the need for future rate hikes. Our Steve Leisman joining us with those details. I think the words that I've heard some say, split decision. Steve? Yeah, a a definite split in the Fed. Uh, Scott, the minutes from this May meeting showed after the Fed hiked unanimously in May, divisions did emerge among Fed officials about the next decision in June. All agreed the next move was more uncertain because they didn't know what the effects would be of aggressive tightening so far and the potential for banks to tighten credit conditions and have an economic impact. They also agreed the Fed needed to, quote, retain optionality so they could go either way. Now, here's the specific language. Some officials saw the need for additional rate hikes because of the slow progress in bringing down inflation. That is, in official Fed speak, more than the, quote, several participants saying they did not see a need for further hikes. Just a note, I reported this wrong in the last hour, the way it actually is in the English language, not Fed speak. Some is more than several, according to the Fed. So the committee is now tilting slightly hoggish on the outlook for future hikes. The minutes also show some officials stress the Fed in public communications should not indicate cuts were likely this year or ruled out further hikes earlier in the day. Of course, Fed Governor Chris Waller said he was uncertain about whether the Fed should hike 
pause or skip a meeting. Because of the inflation data, it says the, it suggests the Fed should hike. Banking uncertainty said maybe the Fed should skip a meeting. Policy lags, as in all the rate hikes so far, and credit tightening suggest him a pause. He seemed to lean towards a skip. That is not hike June, come back later and hike later because of his concern about inflation. There were several mentions, Scott, of the debt ceiling in the minutes, with many officials saying it was important for Congress to raise that debt limit to avoid risk both to the economy and the financial system. Scott? You know, Steve, it, it, it appears from like hearing Jamie Dimon and David Solomon this week, you know, David Solomon's at our inaugural CNBC a CEO summit, and then listening to all this Fed speak, it, it seems as if the only party not really trying to prepare people for higher rates or a higher Fed funds rate is the market. Doesn't want to believe it. <laughs> no, the market. But, but I will say this, Scott. First of all, I need to have a, a, a little um, uh, uh, a clause here to say, look, um, we don't exactly know, but the market has come closer to the Fed. If you were to look at the Fed market gap for the end of the year, it's now about 30 basis points. It had been as much as 100 basis points between where the Fed thinks it's going to be and where the market is pricing it. The trouble with that story right now is that that number is polluted by concern over the debt ceiling. You've seen all of these short-term T-bill rates surge because of essentially default concern. So we're not sure how pure a reading we're getting. If that default concern came off the table, that gap may be wider. As to the stock market, which is what I think you're thinking about, I mean, Scott, they've been dancing to their own tune. They seem to have uh, the ability to raise rates when earning when inflation is high. And if inflation comes off, well, they go back to the world they were in beforehand. So I think it might be, you know, there's obviously pain ahead, concern about a recession. Uh, but the market seems to keep chugging along here. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman. Joining me now, Post 9, Alicia Levine of BNY Mellon Wealth Management. It's good to see you again. Great uh, to be How here. are you thinking about the Fed? Do you think they're done? So I, I think they're definitely going to pause in June, and they have to because of the debt ceiling and some of the liquidity issues around that. Mm -hmm. um, to the extent that we have our slow credit contraction going on without an event, it's likely to be a skip. And, okay. and they could be back at it in the autumn. Is that why you suggest that it's going to still be a difficult environment for equities? So I, I see three reasons for why there's a difficult environment for equities. The first is that that the gap in the pricing between where the Fed is saying they are and where the market is. And agree with Steve Leisman, of course, we have some mispricing because of the debt ceiling. But to the extent that equities have rallied because inflation has moved lower and the bond market is pricing in cuts by the end of the year, you get a higher multiple. So if you take that out, if you take that that, that cut by the end of the year out, then equities have to come and meet the new curve on the Fed pricing. The second reason, of course, in the in the event that there is some sort of credit event, let's call it 10 percent, that something really bad out there could happen because it is a Fed tightening cycle, then, of course, equities are still going to have a problem, even if the Fed cuts, because there'll be an event. And, of course, the third reason is the liquidity issue that happens. We are assuming the debt ceiling gets signed. But when that happens, the Treasury issuance and the T-bill issuance from Treasury could cause a little bit of volatility. I hear, I hear many people suggesting that. I hear most people paint a worrisome story about the market for the reasons why they're not bullish. And being a bear is easy at this point. Very easy. 
Why not talk more about the strength in the economy so, and the resilience of the stock market in the face of all of that and the fact that the Fed might in fact be done? Remember, we're going to get you know, more inflation prints when the Fed is allegedly out of the game. Even if it's uh, sitting on the bench temporarily, they're still out of the game. Why aren't more people talking about that? Because it just feels that with 500 basis points of hiking in 12 or 13 months, you're bound to get some event that happens and some slowdown. But I agree with you. We think by the end of the year, the market could be fine and you could even rally from here. What we're talking about is that short-term volatility when all these issues come together. So the debt ceiling, the Treasury issue, the the T-bill issuance, the issue of whether or not the Fed has to reprice on on Fed hikes. But then the bottom line is the, the economy's been great. The data have held up better than expected. CPI is still 4.9, although the core is higher, as you know, a 5.5. So that's the issue that really has to happen. If the data go in the right way, the Fed, of course, could pause. But even if they pause, that pause is still not a cut. And it's still higher than where the market is pricing in the end of the year. So what do you make, since we started the show with NVIDIA and it's just all things and all roads seem to lead to AI and a mega cap tech trade, what do you make of it here? Is it vulnerable? I think it's extended and vulnerable. It's clear why investors flock there after the epic sell-off of last year and the excitement over AI. And let's talk about the cash flow funding models for large companies that don't really need to borrow and can fund their models. So it does make sense to a point, but they're very extended if you look at the 200-day or 50-day. So vulnerable, but not fundamentally vulnerable, not like last year where it was a bit existential about how high inflation was going to go and where the Fed was going to go, compressing the multiples. We're more or less going to finish around 5 or 5.25. You know, I don't think we're getting awfully higher than that. Mm -hmm. And with that, the multiples can hang in there. They're very extended. They could be vulnerable to some sort of pullback and some sort of event out there. But I don't think this is a fundamental story. So what about... Like Jim Breyer, you know, the investor was saying again out at our, our summit out in California that this is akin to the, the 95 period of the, the Internet that early and that these core stocks, we're not talking about the pets.coms of the world. We're talking about the companies that are going to be the leaders. And as the Stacey Rascons of the world suggest, the total addressable market possibilities are so large. And again, as Jim Breyer suggested, to use a golf analogy, we're only in the, on the second hole of all of this. Are we fully appreciating the power of this transformational technology and also what it means to earnings and then these stocks? So that, that's a great question because I think if you make the 95 analogy, I think we didn't know who the winners were going to be in 95, although we knew the world was changing and we knew it was going to be enormous. We don't know how enormous yet. I think the sense that incumbents and large incumbents can win this because of that, I think that that gains some credibility here. Be very, very hard, I think, for smaller players to come in here. They'll get eaten up. They'll get eaten up by the incumbents that have free cash flow and don't need to float debt in order to do this. I mean, it's not, in other words, you see through the noise this time, yes. right? It's like you can't just be any company and suggest, well, AI this, and we do this in AI, and we're going to be huge in the total addressable market, blah, blah, blah. The incumbents we'll win. We'll see through that this time, so I the, think. I think the incumbents win. We, we just don't know how they're going to be reordered on the puzzle, right? Like, we just don't know who is going to be the ultimate winner. You know, I like to talk about, you know, there were, there were times in 99, 2000, 2001 
there are a couple of companies vying for the best of, mm -hmm. and one fell out and really wasn't clear at the time which one was going to fall out. You may have something like that here, but I think the excitement is real. Um, there is going to be pressure from Washington to regulate some of this, but as we've seen, very hard for Washington to regulate tech that they simply don't understand. Yeah. All right. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Alicia Levine uh, here. We're about 30 minutes, really, from NVIDIA's earnings in overtime. Speaking of AI and, and all of the hype, straight ahead from first to worst. Energy, the biggest sector loser this year. But have the stocks gotten cheap enough for investors to take a second look? We'll discuss that. And throughout the month of May, CNBC is celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage, sharing stories of influential AAPI business leaders. Here is the Kidos founder and CEO. As a woman of Indian heritage in the tech sector, where funding is really limited, and more so in venture capital, recognition is extremely minimal. So what you have is your power to believe in yourself and do not lose your vision or your mission because that's what makes you who you are and help yourself achieve all those goals by remaining as steady as you can and never quitting. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back. Energy, one of the only positive sectors today, despite that tape right there, which, by the way, take a look at that. And we're down, I don't know, 300 points not that long ago. Dow's uh, still down, of course, but about 162 or so. Uh, again, NASDAQ and the S&P have been in the red all day long as well. The debt debate talks are certainly an overhang. Interest rates are, too, as we count down to those NVIDIA numbers in about 25 or so minutes. Uh, but let's talk more about energy. Valuations are tumbling to new lows now. Pippa Stevens joining us now with more. Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, after two years of outperforming, energy stocks are lagging this year with the sector's P.E. ratio relative to the S&P 500 now sitting at its lowest level in more than two decades. Now, drilling down on the sector, the refiners are currently the cheapest with Valero Energy and Marathon Petroleum trading at 5.2 and six times forward earnings. APA and Phillips 66 also on the relatively cheaper side, while Hess, Baker Hughes and Williams are the most expensive. Now, when it comes to Wall Street's favorite energy stocks, Halliburton, Targa Resources and Schlumberger are top picks with more than 90 percent of analysts rating them as buy. On the flip side, Kinder Morgan has the fewest buy ratings at 29 percent, with Cotera at 34 percent. Now, Goldman Sachs said investors should focus on companies that have underperformed relative to peers, but that, that have positive catalysts on the horizon. That includes names like Antero, Conoco, Halliburton, and HF Sinclair. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens, let's bring back in now Bryn Talkington of Requisite Capital, obviously a big investor in energy names, which I'm looking at the sector. It's down, as we said, more than 8% year to date. Is a turnaround in the cards or not? I think so. I think, I think what's happening, as Pippa said, this area is really cheap. But as we all know, cheap can stay cheap for a long time. You need a catalyst. 
And so, you know, what's happened this year is, you know, since mid mid last year, Russia's pumped two more barrels, two million more barrels than expected. China reopening, not nearly as robust as we had hoped for. And then you also have recession fears. And so what is the catalyst? Well, bonds and oil, Scott, are pricing in a recession right now, while tech stocks are pricing in a soft landing, rate cuts, and AI to infinity. And so I think as the months progress through the summer, which is the strong season for oil, as we get into the narrative, if we, nothing breaks, and if we have this soft landing drum beats pick up, then oil is mispriced today. So I think that's the potential catalyst, is recession fears get pushed out to 2024. And if that's the case, that will be kindling under the fire of these energy names. I just wonder if, you know, as you mentioned, if you know, you, you've only got so much money left after the money that's gone into communication services and technology. And with that extra money, you were putting it in longer dated treasuries and, and money markets just as a, a safer play with less risk. Sure. And I think with money markets, you're getting, you know, 5%, which is a great cash rate. It's a wonderful cash rate that we can just sit there and earn 5%. But that is not a long-term investment stream, or investment outcome. And within the energy space, when you have a free cash flow yield of the sector, right around 13%, they continue to have capital discipline, they're low PEs. And then if you don't go into a recession, then that's the catalyst to go higher from an investment theme. So I think clients are more, I would say underweight bonds go long money markets. And then when your investment dollars barbell between you know, technology and energy, because those are good hedges to each other as well. Mm. What, what's the most recent energy move that you've made? You know, I added to Devon. So I added to Devon during spring break when, you know, SVB was, was, was falling apart. And that day, literally everyone thought that was going to take us into a recession. And Devon sold off just with the rest of the complex down to that 45 level. I think with Devon, you know, they have a really nice buyback, free cash flow yield, distributions. So I bought it at 45 and then I will sell once it gets to, it's right at almost at 50 now. If it gets to 55 or 53, I will sell 60, $60 out of the money calls just to give me some protection. And you'll see these companies like a Devon are trading in that 45 to $53 range. And so if you buy the stock, get the dividend and covered calls, it's been a really good strategy this year to own energy if mm -hmm. you're, if you're, if you're timing it correctly. Bryn, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. That's Bryn Talkington, Requisite Capital. Up next, we are tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close. Got about 20 minutes or so left. Christina Partzinevelos is standing by with that. Christina. 90s wide leg jeans and fancy outfits for your pets are just some of the reasons why the retail sector is soaring today. I'll have all those big stock movers after this break. Touch more than 15 minutes to go before the close. Let's get back to Christina Partzinevelos now for the stock she's watching, Christina. Abercrombie & Fitch has been reinventing itself. Gone are the days of the dimly lit perfume-infused stores with shirtless male models. The 90s-style jean and workwear lines are a hit and driving same-store sales up 3% in Q1. The company that also operates Hollister posted a surprise profit, beating estimates and raising its guidance. Shares are up 31%. Urban Outfitters, another bright spot. The stock up, what, 16% right now on an earnings beat and a surge in sales at its upscale brands, Free People and Anthropology. I should say the stock.
stock is up almost 18% now. And another surprise from Kohl's, a first quarter profit allowing management to reaffirm its outlook. The new Sephora shops and pet and home decor offerings are definitely helping this name up almost 8%. Scott. All right. Appreciate it. As always, Christina, thank you. Christina Parsonevelis. Last chance to weigh in on our Twitter question. We asked, does NVIDIA still have room to run? You can head to at CNBC closing bell on Twitter. The results are coming up right after this break. And do not miss a big interview tomorrow. Avenue Capitals, Mark Lazary is going to join us. We'll discuss the markets, rates, the debt ceiling, investment opportunities in sports and much more. We're back in two minutes. Get the results now of our Twitter question. Does NVIDIA have room to run? The majority of you saying, yes, indeed, it does. Near 60%. Up next, we're only a few minutes away from that big earnings report. We're going to break down the key numbers. You need to watch ahead of it in overtime. There is the countdown clock. 32 minutes and change that story and more when we take you inside the market zone. All right, we're now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down the crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, big earnings out in overtime today. Christina Partsinovalos on what to expect from NVIDIA. And Frank Holland on what he is watching when Snowflake reports. That's another big one. We'll be watching all of that closely. Mike Santoli is with us first. I thought the Dow was trying to make a run back. Now yeah. it's gone the other way. Um, it's, you know, it's just going to hang on the debt ceiling and interest rates and sure. Fed speak and the minutes and everything else. Yes, we have firmed up a little bit in the last hour or so. Over the last two weeks, so this week and last, uh, the lows for the day, the, the lows for the week, have been just above 4,100 on the S&P. So in the absence of these big directional drivers, it's going to suggest that the real money wants to push this market out of its sideways trend. You get the intraday ping-pong as the, the big Nasdaq stocks have cooled off uh, and it's created a little bit of that shakeout effect, also got to be this game theory effect underway as well, where we're watching the debt ceiling negotiations. We know they're going to sound uh, kind of like they're not close until perhaps it's done. So you, you take everything with a grain of salt. Maybe you think the market has to panic to really inject a sense of urgency, but no individual wants to be the person who panics in a lost cause because it's going to be a temporary shakeout. So I think we're in that mode right now, uh, getting impatient, but not necessarily feeling as if anything much has changed. I was just looking, you know, the volumes on the big index ETFs, not really huge. So people are definitely holding back, making significant bets. I want to obviously chat NVIDIA with you, but first I want to go to Christina Partsinevelos, who's waiting for that report. As really, Christina, we all are. Um, in part because the stock has been such a massive winner, and we think that there might be, you know, a lot riding on this. Well, a lot riding on data center revenues and how much that contributed to Q1 growth, how much that will contribute to Q2 guidance. We're anticipating data center revenue guidance to increase about 9 to 10 percent. So what we're looking for this particular name, yes, the guidance, because will it justify the sky-high valuation that you're seeing, what, trading over 50 times earnings? So it's definitely not a cheap name. Other things, is there going to be any, uh, the recovery in China, is that still going strong or still slow as what we've seen with other 
other chip makers? And will that affect more importantly gaming for NVIDIA, which is a, a big business for them? And then there are some comments I'll be looking for from uh, Jensen Wong on just China and the restrictions that are happening from the United States. He told the FT just yesterday that the U.S. tech industry is at risk of enormous damage from the escalating battle. So these are all factors that we need to consider when listening to this call. But I'd like to make a quick comparison. You had data center sales for what? Intel down 14% quarter over quarter. For AMD down 22% quarter over quarter. Yes, AI is the hype. Yes, AI requires the H100 chip from NVIDIA for a lot of these generative AI systems. But will that be enough to drive that growth in this quarter and in the subsequent quarters in the near term? All right. We cannot wait to see you in overtime with the numbers. So we'll see you in just a bit. Christina Partsanevelos, go get ready for what is no doubt one of the biggest earnings reports of this season. Mike Santoli, you know Bespoke. They always have sure. some great information about the markets that I know you like. The stock NVIDIA has been up 90% plus in the six months leading up to an earnings report five other times. On the five earnings reaction days that followed, NVIDIA stock was up four times out of the five. So huge moves and not really a sell on that news. No, uh, momentum is a real phenomenon in markets, both price momentum and fundamental momentum and storyline momentum. So I think that's one of the things it does tell you. What's fascinating is the way this stock has so massively repriced at a time when earnings in the current fiscal year are basically coming, are supposed to come in where uh, last fiscal year came in. In other words, we kind of moved forward this sort of earnings power by a year, uh, meaning moved it further into the future. So by August 31st, uh, fiscal 24 estimates are basically the same as they are right now. Last August 31st, stocks doubled since then. <laughs> For fiscal 25, that's next fiscal year, uh, earnings estimates are up 8 or 9%. And in the time that the stock has doubled, the point being, it's mostly about what's on the com. It's mostly about what can you tell me about whether this is the perfect play for the big picture shifts in technology we're expecting. Yeah. We also, Frank Holland, have some pretty big valuations to live up to as it relates to Snowflake, don't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Scott. Uh, it's trading at 290 times forward earnings, so pretty lofty valuation there. Let's get into the earnings report we're expecting after the bell. Snowflake is kind of one of those indirect beneficiaries of this whole AI craze. Shares that far outperform in the broader cloud sector since last quarter. Snowflake, it provides the data that you really need for artificial intelligence and power AI functions in cloud and other areas. So it's supposed to be AI, it's supposed to be a long-term tailwind, the broader trend, a tailwind for a company like this and other names in that similar space. Think about a Palantir. So near-term guidance, that really remains the big question when it comes to this report. Product guidance for the current fiscal year is the key metric to watch. Products where Snowflake gets almost all of its revenues. Analysts are really kind of questioning the ability to reach 40% year-over-year growth in the current spending environment. You also want to look out for M&A. That's something to watch. Snowflake uh, reportedly is in talks to acquire AI-powered search startup Neva. Analysts say this would be a very valuable acquisition in the growing AI race. But again, you mentioned the valuation, 290 times forward earnings. This is a chance for Snowflake to prove that it has a business model to justify that lofty valuation if you can actually do so. Shares are up 1% ahead of the print. Yeah. All right, Frank, we'll let you bounce as well. Uh, get ready for that print. And we'll see you in overtime, no doubt, with the delivery of those numbers and the stock reaction as, as we always have. All right, Snowflake. I mean, remember yeah. when this thing went public? What was it, like 200 times sales or something sure. like that? 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a big deal, um, you know, when it was just achieving that $100 billion valuation at some point as well. It's, it's under 60 right now. Very different places in terms of life cycle, Snowflakes versus NVIDIA. I mean, NVIDIA revenue-wise, like 10 times as much. Market cap-wise, more than 10 times as much. And of course, NVIDIA, firmly profitable uh, and for a long period of time. So it'll be a little bit of a test of, uh, of that class. I keep calling it the class of 2020 and 2021, the new companies, the big phenoms of those years. Uh, that have both had the race to nosebleed levels and then a real crash and now base building. And so it's happening all over the place uh, with those stocks that basically uh, took advantage of a very, very generous new issue market. Back I feel like no, nobody really looks at the, the market wiser than, than you do in terms of big picture stuff. So what do you think is, is riding on NVIDIA? in you know, less than five minutes, presumably, that report's gonna come out. Yeah. We just had the two-minute warning for all of you who might have heard the sound effect. What's riding yeah, on? Yeah, they actually keep you waiting a little bit longer after the close for NVIDIA, but yes. Um, what's riding on it, I, I really do think it's about a reality check on the AI excitement and on the semi-cycle, both. And, you know, because I think it's gonna have to inform both things. NVIDIA has almost gotten escape velocity relative to the rest of the semis. And you have to say, do you have the, some kind of substantiation for that type of interest to have a $700 billion market cap company continue to have upside at this level, but it's essentially rebuilt its valuation. Now, when it comes to overall market impact, I don't really think it's supposed to tell you anything about the economy or about what's driving most stocks in the index. But if it causes people to say, you know what, we got carried away with the, the big mega cap plat platform tech companies in the last couple of months and they have to reset lower, I guess it could uh, have a broader impact. But right now we're trying to figure out exactly what the rest of the market can absorb along that mode. I mean, conversely, too, if it justifies yeah. continuing to put money there, if it pushes an apple over that goal line of, of a new all-time hire. Questions like that, we shall see. There's the bell. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.